0: Closure with Stephanie Holland In and out of the courtroom, Stephanie seamlessly navigates the legal world of criminal defense, family law, and more. And now, your host, Stephanie Holland.
1: Hi, thank you for being here today. I am Stephanie Holland. I am a criminal defense attorney. I also practice family law and military law in Dallas, and I'm broadcasting on On Air Live, and you can also listen at watchonairlive.com. Today I'm going to be talking about several things. Um, I'm going to be talking about something called Crime Victim Services, which is something that every citizen in Texas is entitled to if they're uh, the victim of a violent crime in Texas. I'm going to be talking about one of my family cases that is now subsequently a murder case that happened over the weekend. And then I will be talking about something actually fluffy and happy, which are some charity events that are coming up in Dallas and Fort Worth over the next few weeks. So... Starting out, um, Crime Victim Services is a division of the Texas Attorney General's Office. And Crime Victim Services is there so that if you're the victim of a violent crime, you can fill out an application. This would be any kind of domestic violence and you've called the police. If you're held up at gunpoint, if you're robbed, if you're hit by a drunk driver. The Crime Victim Services is the portion of the Attorney General where when people go to prison and they told, They have to pay restitution. That's where they work, and that money goes into a fund. That fund is used to compensate victims of crime. So you fill out your application, you send it into the attorney general, you have your police report, and this will give you, in the case that somebody is murdered and you lose a spouse or your children lose a parent it will give you a certain amount of money per child per week for taking care of childcare services because now they've lost the ability to have the income of that one parent. Or it will also help with funeral expenses. Most people who are victims of violent crime, and um, like my case this past weekend, where somebody is unexpectedly murdered, well, now you have a crime scene. Now you have crime scene cleanup, you have the transportation of the bodies from where the accident occurred, where the violence occurred, and they take you to the hospital or to the morgue, Then there's all of the fees for doing that. There's an ambulance ride, and then something fun they never tell you that you're going to get charged for is called cleanup. So if you have a family member who's a victim of a violent crime, like my client this past weekend, he was shot and killed in the middle of the street, his family's actually getting charged for the cleanup. His family didn't do anything to put him in that bad situation. That was a personal choice. So his family can use crime victim services and help get help to pay for that. So they will help pay cleanup expenses. They will help pay for the funeral. They'll, they'll even cover flowers. They'll cover therapy. Uh, he leaves behind uh, two twin little boys that are barely over a year old. And they'll get child care expenses. They'll also be able to get medical care. Everything That they would have if they had that second parent still alive and there So you can go to Google. It's really easy and just type in crime victim services And it's a very underutilized in Texas So I heavily advise anybody who may be out there listening if you have been the victim of a violent crime This is why it's there now I'm gonna tell you a funny story because I used to work for this division in the Attorney General's office And that's how I know about crime victim services and the best Feeling in the world is reading some of these really tragic stories and being able to write the award letter that gives them money for childcare expenses or medical expenses. If you've been hit by a drunk driver and you're now in a wheelchair, it will compensate you for that. That's a great feeling. But I also had some guys who are in McAllen, Texas. And the story starts that they were in McAllen, Texas at a Whataburger at 3 a.m. And within reading the first three sentences of the report, I was like, oh, they're drunk and they're sobering up. This makes sense. So then I go on to read this report because the person has filled out the application and he's like, well, we were sitting inside the Whataburger and these other guys walked in and they kind of stumbled, so we laughed and they got mad because we laughed and we were like, oh, you want to take it outside? And they were like, yeah, we want to take it outside. Outside, they had their vehicles and apparently they had their Camaro that they had showed up to Whataburger in and his friend and what I can only call a blinding flash of insight runs to the Camaro and grabs out a machete. Because, you know, all Texans in McAllen carry a machete in their car. Not only does he grab it to be the friend backup ninja, he starts wielding it like a Saracen sword, kind of like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves style, like waving it around. And he hits his friend and cuts him down to the arm bone. And then he takes off running, bleeding profusely. The three guys they laughed at are still there screaming in the parking lot. By this point, the people in Whataburger had called the cops. The cops show up. And the friend with the knife slash sword jumps in the Camaro without the keys and starts trying to drive away, only he wasn't going anywhere. And so the cops arrested him for evading arrest, even though he was not moving. And so when we're going through this, if you're something called the first aggressor, you're not technically gonna be awarded anything because that's a fancy lawyer way of saying you started it. So if you took the first swing, we can't give you anything. So in reading this letter I get through, my guy who got cut runs to his girlfriend's house. Now I'm telling you gentlemen, if you were my boyfriend and you shut up on my doorstep at 3.30 in the morning with your arm gashed open, you wouldn't come inside and I would call the cops on you myself. His girlfriend was nicer than me and she called his mom. And so then the mom shows up and he's like, I don't wanna go to the hospital. You know, I don't wanna get in trouble. It's gonna cost me so much money. And then I have all the pictures from the hospital and see how truly bad this cut was. And then he's claiming, and I had to write the letter back that said, Dear Sir, I very much enjoyed your story, and I'm very, very sorry that you got cut. However, you were the first aggressor, so the most I could give you is 50% of your claim. But if you even wanted 50% of your claim, you have to sue your friend who hit you with the knife in the first place because it was none of the other three guys. just a word of warning that if you are going to claim for crime victim services, please make sure that you're actually the victim and you didn't start it, and please Please leave your machetes at home.
2: Can I ask you a question, Stephanie? Absolutely, no, go for it. Kevin, your producer. Um, Just out of curiosity, so did the guy didn't end up going to the hospital? He did. And if he had tried to self-treat that wound or his girlfriend or his mother, he probably would have bled out, right?
1: Um, I would say it would have been, I would probably say he would have gone to bleeding out or he would have gotten a really severe infection that would have killed him. He
2: probably didn't have the medical expertise in order <laughs> yeah, to treat I mean, that kind anybody of Anybody
1: who's out at 3 a.m. at Whataburger and McAllen, <laughs> I'm already thinking is down a few notches just on the good decisions department. But
2: No, I'm always going to have my guard up now. Who knows? Somebody could come out with a samurai sword <laughs> or something.
1: It's so true, though. And I read it and the thing is, is that this person was, they really were hurt. I mean, you saw the pictures and it was really a severe cut. And on the one hand, it's not funny, but when you're reading it, I'm like, oh, I went to school with those frat boys. I know exactly what this is. I was smiling is. during
2: that story. I'm not going to lie. It's
1: its my favorite story that I ever had there because um, the one thing that I never lack for practicing law is really good stories because the only thing that never stops surprising me is that people never stop surprising me. Just when I think that I've absolutely heard the most crazy things someone could do, they go to Whataburger bust at 3 a.m. and bust out a machete. Exactly. So, when you're doing something like that, um, one, you guys never stop surprising me. So, well done you. And two, the Crime Victim Services Fund is a very good program and it's there. And, like I said, it's for anything. So, Car, you know, it's not just a regular car accident, it has to be drunk driving, that's the crime, or you're held up at gunpoint, or you're robbed, some violent crime, rape, anything, Um, child abuse, if you find out that your child has been sexually abused by somebody, you can claim for benefits for them, so it's a really good program, and I highly advocate everybody Google it, just so that you know that it's a resource for you. We have a few seconds left before our commercial and we will be back in a few minutes to talk about my case that went crazy this weekend.
0: More of Total Disclosure with Stephanie Holen is next. prison In prison
1: Disclosure with Stephanie Holen on On Air Live. Hi, we're back. This is Stephanie Holen, and I'm going to be sharing a little bit about a family law case turned criminal case that uh, kind of went awry this weekend. This is one of my personal cases. And in this case, I actually considered getting myself held in contempt by the judge the last time I had to be on this case because it was really a bad situation to begin with. And I represent um, a young woman, and she uh, got pregnant with twin little boys, and they, mom and dad never married. They were both really young. Um, One was 19, one was 17. So after the children were born, um, boyfriend had moved in with his girlfriend's parents. And over time, boyfriend started exhibiting really dangerous behavior, so much that my client, the mother her parents confronted him and were like, you cannot be in our house and continue to act this way. And this young man attempted suicide four times, two times in um, his girlfriend's parents' house, including once on Thanksgiving Day. Obviously, he survived all the time, but I knew that he was an um, avid fan of drugs of all kinds. And he was very violent, um, up to and including when mom was pregnant with the twin boys, he held her up at gunpoint. So we're obviously, even for somebody who's not trained in psychology or law, you're not dealing with a very stable individual. And so finally the parents and the mother of the twin little boys kicked this person out, and he went back to live with his parents not too far away. And the violence continued to escalate. The violence continued to escalate where he would call the mother um, when he had the two twin boys in his possession, and he would be doing things to make them scream. So I have minutes and minutes where this, and he's a parent to these two little boys and you can tell the difference between baby cries and you can tell that he's hurting them. So CPS got involved and I went to court and petitioned the court for something called a protective order. Now for everybody listening out there, temporary restraining order, it's all situations. It could be business, It could be criminal. It could be anything. That just means that the court is saying, hey, we're going to ask you to stop doing this until we make our final decision. It's a a temporary restraining order. If you violate it, you can get taken back to court for violating it, but you can be jailed. Most of the time, it's a fine that you're looking at. However, for a protective order, a protective order is enforceable, and if it's violated, the violator goes to jail automatically, and this is why... For anybody listening out there who is a victim of domestic violence, anybody who is exposed to violence, anybody whose children are exposed to violence, file for the protective order. You can either do it through the police or you can do it through an attorney such as myself. And in this case, I filed for the protective order and I went before the judge and the judge listened to this person and I got him on the stand and asked him point blank, did you hold mom up at gunpoint while she was pregnant? Yes. Yes. Did you threaten her? Did you call her and say, you're going to regret it, I'm going to take the boys into the side of a highway going 100 miles an hour? Yes. The judge did not grant me a protective order. She denied it and told me that it sounded more like a modification case than a protective order case. I can tell you I absolutely, without a doubt, think that that judge is batshit crazy, and it's the only time I've ever considered opening my mouth to argue and actually you know, go and be held in contempt and probably get jailed for what I wanted to tell the judge because it's by far the worst decision I've ever made. Nobody ever goes into court and wins 100% of what they want. It wasn't the losing that bothered me. It was, I don't know how you could hear the person say himself, yeah, I've pulled a gun on mom and tell me that that's not enough violence to give them a protective order to keep dad away. And then you factor in, The baby's crying and the text messages and all of these things. You just have this abundance of evidence where you don't understand. And so in this situation, we can obviously tell that dad's not a really stable guy. Now, I don't think he's the worst person on the planet. I think he was definitely in need of some help. And this past weekend, I got a really cryptic email that said, uh, we have some information that may change the case that you're working on. And so I went ahead and called. And it turns out that this person that the judge didn't think was violent got himself gunned down in the middle of the street in a narcotics deal. So they don't know who the gunman was Uh, two people were shot Uh, the father of these two little boys was killed And the other person was wounded and they don't know who it is. All they know is that he was shot He literally died in the middle of the street The other guy was shot and they have no idea who did the shooting My guess is that his friend knows and he's not going to say because it was all involved in badness
2: so they'll probably never. No, no, that will never be solved.
1: No, no, probably not, and and certainly, especially in the portion of Texas that this took place in, because it's not Dallas. Um, I'd be really surprised if they could even ever find the gun. It, there are lots of places to hide it where they are, and I don't anticipate it ever being found. And I certainly don't expect the friend to be like, "Oh yeah, it was this guy. We were meeting him to exchange right. some, dr- I mean, you know." So that's where that Fifth Amendment... It was
2: probably not a legally registered firearm. Yeah, I'm
1: not guessing. And so this is why the beginning of the show I was discussing crime victim services because I actually had to call my client and then I also offered my services to his parents because as much of a schmuck as I think this guy was, I don't know how he became that way, but once you're 20 years old and you're making decisions like that, that is on you. That's not on your parents anymore. And so I actually offered to help his parents file for crime victim services because when somebody gets shot and they're your family member, you get the bill for cleanup services. They had to remove his body from the street. There are all these things. When you're making those bad decisions, it shouldn't be your family. And so crime victim services, and even though he was not my client, you know, I was fighting against him. Those, those grandparents have now lost their son. They're only tied to their child, whether or not he was good or bad, are those two grandbabies. And in a way... It's one of the best gifts he could have given his kids because they do qualify for crime victim services and there is that fund for them to call him, but it's also good for his parents. And so it's really sad. And so the one thing I will say and I will advocate over and over again, if it's a criminal situation or a family situation and you are seeing these signs where they are cutting and they're violent and they're aggressive, do not stop pushing to get yourself a protective order because it's not safe. And I hate getting to the other end of the story where, It's not in this situation. And I hate saying this, but thank goodness it was that person who was the victim of gun violence and it wasn't mom or it wasn't one of the two boys. When you see people being weird, you know they're being weird for a reason. Call and report them. And I say this as a criminal defense attorney because you all need to stay safe. It's just really scary. And I mean, this was my phone call on Sunday morning and I'm like, Yay, holiday weekend, because holiday well, weekends don't exist for me. I mean, People de- commit crime all the time. It's, so It's
2: depressing and kind of morbid, but maybe that was the best thing.
1: It, it
2: you, and know, I, I, and, I hate, you know, I hate and I was talking to my way, clients,
1: but. I was actually talking with my client's mother and I said, you know, I, I really hate to say that, but, you know, considering that we were trying to protect the kids from this person anyway, right. and... By no means is it remotely funny, but I would say it's supremely ironic, ironic that I'm going outcome. to be able to go back to this judge who told me he wasn't violent enough and basically, oh, I just needed a modification. Be like, hey, your honor, you remember me, the lawyer you told who this guy wasn't violent? And Guess what? He got himself shot to death in the middle of the street. I'm so glad that he's not violent and didn't pose any kind of threat to my client. And, and it's sad to say, but he was making bad decisions. He was not a 14-year-old kid. He wasn't. He didn't have a good reason those are personal choices at that point and so he did end up becoming and the other sad thing is now he's a victim of gun violence and the entire situation is tragic. You have two little boys who are going to grow up not knowing their dad even if he wasn't the greatest person. They've lost that ability.
2: But can you take some almost personal satisfaction in knowing that perhaps in the future, if a judge is reviewing a case, something similar, maybe they'll give it a second thought next time. I really
1: hope that this particular judge does. I can say that I honestly do not think that it had I been in another court, that any judge would have ruled the same way. It really threw me. That's why, like I said, you're never going to win 100% of everything that you're looking at. But when something is just that wrong, you really consider getting yourself thrown in jail. And, you know, the judge won't automatically jail you, but trust me, what was going through my head, she would have said, You're going to be held in contempt. I wouldn't have stopped talking. She would have held me in contempt and then jailed me. And in certain situations, it would be worth it. And the only reason I didn't is because I knew that I could not do my job for my clients if I went and got myself thrown in jail that day. So my solution was, you know what? I don't like what the judge said, but now I'm going to have to use all these other avenues and pull Even more evidence than I already had and the thing is if you have a good lawyer who's an advocate, they will work to get those things Um, but again just We just have a few more seconds before we cut to commercial, but just really if you see somebody who is exhibiting those signs Call somebody I don't care if it's the cops. I don't care if it's a doctor Call a friend and ask your friend what to do because dealing with those situations on your own Are very scary and obviously based on what happened this past weekend They really are dangerous.
0: More of Total Disclosure with Stephanie Holland is next. You're listening to Total Disclosure with Stephanie Holen on On Air Live.
1: This is Stephanie Holen and you are listening to Total Disclosure. Uh, The first two segments have been a little heavier because we're dealing with some of the um, shadier slash more depressing parts of what I do. Uh, It's always nice to help people, but a lot of people think that lawyers are almost one-dimensional and that you just have court. And it's it's criminal or civil, it's family law or anything like you see on TV, I promise you that it's not. And to this day, the law and order dun-dun sound has never happened when I've walked into a courtroom. But there are a lot of really oh, that's cool disappointing. things. It really is, and I keep waiting for it. And I've considered having it as a ringtone. It's just not the same. Maybe if I get somebody to come in and like play it for me one day.
2: Yeah, you need it to come out of nowhere. I know.
1: know, and somebody who like really thinks I'm special will come do that, and that would just be fun. I think probably the other attorneys, I'll see if and we judges, can make that
2: happen for you, we will
1: just start getting applause for. I, I think that we're all big enough nerds down there that we would all think it was fantastic because we're always loving the shows, and we're like, wow, they asked for. You know, a search warrant, they had it signed in under 30 seconds.
2: Well, isn't, like, every case that you see on TV, like, all wrapped up in a bow, like, at the yeah, end? Yeah, within like 45
1: a, minutes when you yes. include the commercial breaks. And every I'm like, single case. Every single case. And there are very few where it turns out bad, and then it's never the client who, like, in my situation this past, week, it's never the client who loses their life. It's always, like, one of the main characters. And I'm like, that's well, not really realistic. Or no. they get there and, like, everybody monologues, and or they... My favorite is listening to the questions because we actually do have rules. And so the objection hearsay, legitimate objection. The only problem is hearsay is literally everything that hasn't occurred, testified to in court. It applies to papers. I could bring in your birth certificate and say, this is your birth certificate. Well, how do you know? Just because it's written doesn't mean this is hearsay. Now there's all these things that cover it. So if somebody said that, oh, objection, that's not the, and I'd be like, actually, here's the document and the stamp that prove that it is. And it falls under this exception. They never do that in TV. So it's always these very bizarre things, or nobody objects at all. And they're asking things. And of course, anybody who's like me, who makes it miserable to watch television with is sitting there screaming, you can't do that. You can't ask (laughs) that. I'm like, I wish it was that easy. Anyway.
2: People always do that with their professions. It's just a, a natural thing. I Any, it's probably how I see,
1: doctors feel about Grey's Anatomy, yes, or I'm, I don't know about you. time
2: I see somebody doing radio on a t- movie or TV show, I'm like, that's not how that works. They're talking like five feet away from their microphone.
1: Yeah, and they always have the room with like lots and lots of lights and beepy things behind them. And yes, like,
2: it's never that uh
1: It's never elaborate. that elaborate. It also looks like you're in like one of those really old computers that used to take up two rooms. And yeah, like, yeah, that's why true. Do we, why do we build radio places inside of giant old computers? Yeah. At least that's what happens when I watch it. I don't know how you feel about it. but No,
2: that, that is true. Yeah, There aren't really many accurate depictions. So
1: you watch that, and it kind of makes what you do, first it gives everybody a really um, cracked view of what you're actually doing. But the other thing is it kind of limits you in what they think you're doing. One of the cool things that I get to do with my degree is I also know a lot about nonprofit law, and I actually operate my own nonprofit. I operate a charity, and I also work with multiple other ones throughout Dallas. I work with uh, the Kimberly Moore Foundation in California, and then there's one called N.D. Hope, which is based out of Colorado, and it builds schools in Liberia, Africa. Most of the parents in Liberia were wiped out by Ebola, so there are a lot of children being raised. And It was mostly women who survived, and so you have a lot of women who are raising these children who aren't theirs, but they don't have running water. They don't have clothes, and the thing is, Liberia is really lush. It's like a rainforest, but they don't know how to farm, so I'm actually getting to go over there with my knowledge of nonprofit law, but I was also a teacher before I was an attorney, and so I actually get to go over there and teach something I never thought I'd be teaching before. I'm actually teaching farming. I grew up on a farm as a little girl. They don't know. I do remember h- you
2: telling me that on the experts program. Um, That's right.
1: They uh, they don't know how to cultivate anything. And they have, the, they have the rain. They have the right kind of soil, but they don't have that kind of knowledge. And there was a school built there before. And, of course, there's a lot of guerrilla warfare that goes on over there. And they actually came and burned down the brand-new school. So I get to go back this next month and see the site where we're building the new school. But I'm also going to be writing the curriculum for that. And so that's a really cool opportunity. So anybody who wants to get out there, this isn't even my foundation. One of my friends runs it. I'm just getting the opportunity to write the curriculum. It's called ND Hope. So if you're interested in helping build schools in Africa or donate or send over clothes, there's also something called a Lucy Light, and you can find it on Amazon. Basically, it looks like a CD, but it blows up, and it's a light that will last for 10 years, and it charges on solar energy. You don't have to have the electrical system like you have here. It's not got to be plugged in because it recharges itself. And there are no lights over there. Like when you get up at night, it's not like walking There's no grid. Exactly. There is no grid in Liberia. There's none. And so when it's dark, it's really dark. So they need the lights. And especially with the sort of um, temperament and and governmental climate and things that they deal with there, they need light, especially at night. Um, The Kimberly Moore Foundation is in california and she's actually partnered with nd hope as well and then i have two charities and there's actually an event with my charity going on this weekend in fort worth and i run a charity called operation rubber duck and it's something really cool that i started um, because in law school they teach you how to incorporate things which i never knew i was going to know how to do before i went so it kind of makes it less than that law and order scene and so what my charity does is when you go to hotels you always swipe the soap and shampoo and then it lives in your cabinet unless you know it's like the two times that you run out of shampoo exactly but that's pretty much maybe maybe three times a year besides that it just lives and looks really pretty in your cabinet so we ask everybody to donate that we create kits that have soap shampoo lotion deodorant we make half the kits with feminine supplies half of them we give razor kits Listerine and then we include like non-perishables like um granola bars or easy the instant mac and cheese Packet things because they can go into you know 7-Eleven and use their microwave and actually have something to eat. And then we literally go downtown. We go downtown Dallas and downtown Fort Worth. And this weekend it's downtown Fort Worth. And we walk and we distribute them to the homeless. We just walk up and give them that because. And sometimes you have to give people what they need and not what they want. And I have a small human who's 13 years old, and I will tell her all the time. I made a lot of decisions that had consequences in my life. People who are in those situations had a lot of consequences in their life, I won't give money. I'll give you what you need. I'll give you food. I'll give you blankets.
2: How can others get involved in this?
1: Um, You can actually find us online. It's www.operationrubberduck.org. And it's got a calendar of our events. You can also go to my uh, law firm's website, which is holandlaw.com. You can find us here on On Air Live and look it up there. And then the other charity I run, and this one's going to have to be pretty quick, but it is a nonprofit that focuses on bringing education about government and politics to underprivileged youth because I found that the best way to teach Tolerance is through education, but not the kind where you sit in the classroom. It's where you travel and you get to meet other people So my other nonprofit is actually taking a group of 12 students who have never been out of the state of Texas On a civil rights tour so that they can see it from scratch beginning with the revolutionary war going to Susan B Anthony's house and you know getting voting rights for women Going through Durham, North Carolina going to Gettysburg and seeing the battlefields going to Atlanta going to Birmingham and seeing all of those things And you can also find that, um, and that one is unitedstateofshe.org. There's so much more that I would love to say about that, but if you want to get involved, you can find us on any of the websites mentioned, and I look forward to talking to you again.